Hi, this is Britt Hodge. This is the Good Christian Podcast. I chose this title because it's ironic. Someone one day called me a good Christian and I thought, wow, if you only knew the hell that I've lived through, you would probably rephrase that. And that's a story for most Christians out there. We all come to the Lord on our knees, humbly, after choosing the world for a certain period of time. And that's what I'm doing with this podcast. I'm just interviewing people that I know uh, to show you who they are now and then walk back through the process they came through to get to who they are today. And today, my very first guest, the person who bought me the equipment to make this podcast and who also brought me two steaks and who also makes me letters uh, and peanut butter balls. Her name's Emily Rose Johnson. She's one of my greatest friends. Would you like to introduce yourself, Emily? Yeah, my name's Emily. I'm 25 years old and I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I go to ministry school with Britt out here in Redding, California. We met in our first year RG. To be honest with you, I did not like him right away. I was like, who is that weirdo with the cowboy boots? He's not Woody and he doesn't have Buzz Lightyear next to him. So what's going on? <laughs> but now he's a dear friend. <laughs> wow. You just dive right in there. I did. Yeah. Did I go too hardcore? No, that's great. I love it. I love honesty and realness. Can you, uh, I'm real. can you say grocery bag for me? Grocery bag. All right. So you can tell she's definitely uh, from Canada. <laughs> I'm an American, but uh, I do sound Canadian. Yes, but you're uh, one of the sweetest varieties of Canadian, a Minnesotian. Exactly. And we are known for being nice people, believe it or not. You're pretty nice. I enjoy your company. Yes. yes. You're okay. So, and this is why I chose you to be the first guest, because you are so completely Mother Teresa-like, but such a gangster in the spirit also. Like, you do crazy things for the Lord. And crazy things for people, and you never turn off your servant heart. It empowers you, and it powers you, and you wake up to serve. And you do it not to gain any notoriety from anyone. It's just naturally who you are. And you told me one day that people who have been forgiven much love much. And I see that a lot in my own life. I love without uh, boundaries or capacity at times, sometimes to my own detriment. So I totally understand that and get that. And I wanted to interview you first because your story is so captivating and inspiring to me because I knew you for a period of time and honestly the entire time I thought this girl has been uh, a Christian her whole life she's you know I, I didn't think this but subconsciously somewhere in myself I was just assuming you had an easy life because of how well you loved and how nice you were to everyone and how well respected and well loved you were so amazing for me to see, and um, I was very new to Christian life when I met you. I think I was only a Christian for a year or less than when we actually met, so I kind of looked at you and people like you and uh, just assumed you were here in ministry school as just a cherry on top of the the Sunday of life, but... But then you learned. Yes. <laughs> A rebel past, colorful past. Yeah, much like me. And also, as mentioned earlier, she wasn't my biggest fan. I didn't know. <laughs> I feel terrible about that now. Even when she didn't like me, she brought me letters and peanut butter balls. <laughs> so, <laughs> the reason for this podcast... Love your enemies. Yes. Right? Oh, wow. I'm just kidding. You weren't my enemy. <laughs> 
No. You guys, let me go cry. Will you just... I'm hitting below the belt today. Um, Back on track. Don't get me sidetracked. I'll get... I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Going back on. Okay. Let me, let me recenter like Fergie in the wonderful song, Girls Don't Cry. Um, My mom and dad one time told me, like, I put them through actual hell for 12 years, and they told me... Uh, they stayed Christians the entire time, and they said, one day, you're going to come to a crossroads, and you're going to have to decide, am I going to follow God, or am I going to give up on God? Am I going to choose to stay with God and believe He's good, even though life could not get any worse, even though I feel like dying, or am I going to uh, give up on God? And they, my mom and dad, uh, decided one day together that even though their lives were totally uh pure hell and I'll get into my own story one day that they came together and they decided no matter what happens no matter how terrible it gets I'm going to choose to follow God and I think that's very important for this generation to understand that just because we choose God and you see the end result you see me uh, when I became a Christian at 31 or 32 years old I chose God and you see the fruit of that but you don't know uh, the process that went into that. And when I look at you, Emily, I see that you chose God time and time and time again to get you to the spot where you're at now. And that's so intriguing to me because the transformation of Jesus is so sweet and so real. And I always think, did uh, I always think Jesus never encountered me. Jesus can't be real. I can't see him. I can't touch him. But actually, if you look at people like you, you can see so clearly that Jesus does exist. And so I'd just like to start off now, uh, not digging into your past just yet. I want you to tell people who you are, what your passions are like. Just take the mic and I will ask questions as I feel the need. For sure. So um, I'm really passionate about missionary work. My lifelong dream is to be a full-time missionary in Africa and hopefully Asia too. I'm an event planner. I love planning events and I'm excited because I want to start doing more missions and events together as one as big evangelist gatherings all over the world. I love travel and I'm a big hiker. I'm actually hiking Iceland in May and I'm super excited about it. It's one of my big bucket list items and I'm going to live out of a car where we can just eat a bunch of bars and just backpack around. It's going to be epic. I have an amazing family and friend base back at home in Minnesota. I love the outdoors. I really love people. I'm kind of an old soul. I like to write letters and cook for people. And I love hospitality, love hosting people. I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of things I could say, but those are the first things that come to mind. Okay. And you left out the part about you wanting to go to Salvador. Did oh. you went there? Right? You've been there? <laughs> yes. I was. Missions? You want me to tell them that story? Please. So last year for my birthday, I was really feeling like I wanted to meet an MS-13 gang member. So I just prayed every day. I'm like, God, I want to go to El Salvador and I want to meet literally a gang member. And I went to El Salvador and it turned out that I ended up meeting a gang member and I got to have pizza with him. We literally had Pizza Hut together. And that's my hope. I want to meet people from MS-13. I want to meet uh, Joseph Coney. I want to meet... Um, Kim Jong from North Korea. Basically, anyone dangerous or risky are the people that I want to be around. 
So that was one of the coolest moments of my life. I'm excited to share that story with my kids. And most specifically, you have a desire and a heart to help uh, the unreachable men Mm -hmm. in the world, like those that are deemed the most dangerous for women, rapists, um, pedophiles. Yes. Uh, murderers, yes, attempted murderers, mm-hmm. people that society writes off, but most specifically men. And why this is important is because you were sexually assaulted. Yes, at five years old. And and raped. Yes. And so that's where we'll begin with uh, her testimony. Yeah, so when I was five, I was locked into a closet. I thought I was going to go into play. And, um, men held me down in a closet and I couldn't get up. They covered my mouth and I tried to to kick and everything in between and nothing worked. So I, that's the first time I was raped. Uh, it didn't really affect me until later in life of realizing what actually had happened because I was just five years old. Like what five-year-old knows what's going on. But something like when I was a teenager, I realized like, oh my gosh, I was raped but I suppressed it for many years out of fear of, well, what are people going to think of me? Like, how do I tell my family this? Are they even going to believe me? Um, what is going to happen one day when I want to get married? Like, is a man going to understand what I had been through? And I just didn't think anyone really understand me. And I already had felt so misunderstood. So I got involved with things. Um, I actually was very suicidal. I cut myself I got involved in other relationships and yeah, just a lot of gunk out of that. So let's backtrack a bit. Um, whenever you were five and you came out of that closet, mm-hmm. you were already filled with such shame and there was no one you could tell. You didn't yes. feel safe telling anyone. You didn't yeah. tell your parents. Of, uh, and I didn't know at the time anything. what had happened. Yeah. yeah. So you just kept it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit on a five-year-old mind what that's like. Um, did you turn six, seven, eight, and, and not recall it. And then, and then when you're a teenager, it came back or how did that work? Basically for me, it was, I was very quiet during the time. I used to be very shy. People don't believe me when I say that, but I was super quiet growing up. And then, yeah, later in life, it just came up when you, you're in sex education classes and you're like, okay, yep, this was it. How old were you when you had that, that moment where you realized? Middle school. What, yeah, 12? 12, 13. So what was the process like when you found out? Did it did it not hit you at first or did it take a few years to process that you I actually... I think it took me a few years to process that too, what actually happened. And that was a new time too where I don't think people really were talking about the rape culture back then as much as it is now. Now it's such a hot topic. Yeah. Very yeah, hot topic. A, a long time before that. Mm-hmm. So you're in middle school and... When did, did you know the Lord at this time? I didn't fully know the Lord. No, it's a time where I was wrestling. I would say I was surrounded by Christian people, but I didn't, I wouldn't say I was following the Lord at all. So you didn't have a relationship no, with the Lord? No, I didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 18 years old and that's when I was fully committed and I was all in. Okay. So whenever you gave your life to the Lord, uh, Immediately, did any pain come up from this incident, or did you notice in your life any side effects of like being afraid of men or hating men at that time? Yeah, I think my whole life I've feared men. <laughs> I've hated them. I have been in relationships in the past, but they were never good relationships. 
And anyone that was good, I pushed them away because I knew if they fully knew who I was, that they would not want to be with me uh, because I had such this big limp in my life. Because you hadn't talked to anyone about exactly. it. Exactly. I didn't talk to anyone about so it. And I was also that scared. So uh, caused a lot of shame to be yeah. born in your life? So shame and disappointment. And Would you say in that brokenness that you chose broken men and, and in that way you had broken relationships or what? I'd say a mixture of both. For sure. And also just a fear of entering relationships. Like when I became a Christian, I didn't date at all for a really long time. Because I'm like, wow, especially the Christian men's, they're all, they're all pure. They want the, the pastor's girl or whatever. And that was definitely not my story if you get to know me. So it was more of like not knowing my worth within everything. Yeah, a little self-hatred? Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a tad. I've been there myself. Yes. So you're 18? 18 had a radical encounter with the Lord in my living room. I heard his voice, went back to church for the first time, and they had announced that they were going to Haiti. And I had always wanted to go to Haiti to do ministry work, like not ministry work, but just service work. Mother Teresa has always been my greatest hero. And that trip changed my life. I went down to Haiti and I had more encounters with the Lord. And I went back to Minnesota and gave my life to Jesus on Lake Independence, which was right down my, like, road where I grew up. So you went straight into missions. During this time, did you ever think one day I'll be set free from this shame? And did you ever share with your parents what happened? Anyone? Mm -hmm. No, it wasn't until I moved out to California is where it all began for me. All right. So you're 18. You went to Haiti, came back. You're super devoted to the Lord at this point. I am. I went to college in Wisconsin, then graduated, moved to Thailand, and then moved to California. So you're just living for missions basically That's my whole thing. everything that i've done has been out of the heart of wanting to be a full-time missionary yeah and you like i here. said earlier this is our second recording of this podcast the first time i said you're like mother Teresa with an edge i think is how i <laughs> yes. put it because i'll take that as a big compliment yeah i don't know exactly about mother Teresa. i know that she was pretty hardcore going into dangerous areas and whatnot and I think you are, with that same heart, do the same thing, but with more of an, an, a bent towards the adrenaline rush of missions. Mm-hmm. Like when we're together, when we're in missions in Brazil, we're trying, we're actually looking for the, the most dangerous places to go. <laughs> yes. It like gets us pumped up. It's like maybe parachuting. Give me the most difficult person. Yeah. I love it. And you'll love them. And uh, so... Tell me a little bit about the process, about how you heard about Bethel, BSSM, BSSD, the coast. Tell me a little bit about this. So I found out about BSSM actually through a vision from the Lord. Uh, It was in 2012. I had no idea what I was going to be doing with my life. I didn't have the best academics, and I had found out that I wouldn't be able to play basketball in college. I ended up hurting my knee, so it took me out of any chance of playing. So it's like all my plans are ruined. So I was crying out to the Lord. And this is when I, again, didn't even know him, but this is like the first time I heard him. And he said, I know you've wanted to go to Bethel, but it's not the Bethel you're thinking of because I was actually going to go to Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota and play basketball. And I saw a vision very clearly of myself in Northern California with this word Bethel on it. And I looked it up and it was a ministry school. I'm like, huh, interesting. And ever since then, I had talked about going. So I had never met anyone who went to Bethel Like God gave me that. So it's kind of crazy. Here I am all these years later at Bethel from a vision. I'm the first in my family to believe in the Holy Spirit. 
or anything in between. But an interesting fact is I actually applied right out of college and I got rejected from BSSM. I was devastated. I was actually on my way to Laos. I was living in Thailand at the time. And I was crying in the airport of like, God, are you kidding me? Like who gets rejected from ministry school? Of course I do. <laughs> and I was deferred to the coast in Eureka, California, to a school called BSSD. So it's Bethel Supernatural School of Discipleship. So it's a sister school of BSSM for people who they say are potential students or have more of like a rougher past, apparently. So I guess that was me with my colorful past. So it's going to be, again, a story for the kids one day. Yeah, your mom didn't even get accepted into ministry school with her past. So now I laugh about it. Um, but on the coast, I learned a lot. I actually met um, one of my very best friends, Cotter Hamilton, and his story impacted me. He actually got accused of raping a woman while we were in school, and it triggered me to no end. I remember him calling me. I was home for Christmas break, and he said, Emily, you know, I have to be honest with you. You're my best friend, and it's okay if you don't want to be friends with me anymore. And Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Emily, are you willing to just continue this with connection or are you going to pick convenience? And I said, I'm going to choose connection. I'm like, God, is he innocent? And he said he was. Um, and literally three months later, that girl came forward and lied about the assault. And it was just life changing. And it's where my love for men started was his story. Wow. That's really amazing to me because the Lord, one thing I noticed about ministry school here at uh, Bethel is right when you say yes to the Lord, he doesn't wait until the first day of school to go to work on your heart. He immediately, like if you have anxiety and depression, saying yes to ministry school exacerbates those disorders. Like he just starts to flush everything to the surface so you can acknowledge it and he can wash it off. And so life becomes super uncomfortable. It's very, it's actually for lack of a better word, supernatural, because you can't see it, you can't explain it, you just feel like everything's bubbling up to the surface. And that's super intriguing to me that immediately, whenever you got turned down from Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, or what we call BSSM, for you lay folk out there, and sent to BSSD on the coast of Northern California, immediately the first thing you did after, you know, um, not trusting men your whole life, the Lord puts you in as a, a safe person for this young man who was accused, falsely accused of rape to protect. But there had to be a period of time in there where you didn't know if he actually did rape or did not rape. I but didn't. you chose to trust the man <laughs> in that situation who was a friend. You chose the man in that situation. So it's apparent that the Lord was already working on your heart in order to prepare you for the next step in the journey, which was to go from Bethel School of Supernatural Discipleship to Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry where uh, the rest of your healing uh, inevitably would come whether you knew it or not. Yeah. So if you could just guide me through, were there any more challenges in BSSD or um, was there any challenges in between going from BSSD to BSSM? Did you apply to BSSM while you were in BSSD? What was your heart like? Were you ready were you looking for further healing or were you just looking to be equipped for ministry? Did you expect to have your heart healed? Anything like that? Yeah, I wasn't expecting to have my heart healed at all, but it, uh, I actually wanted to move to Africa right after BSSD. But God spoke to me and reminded me that 
BSSM was always where I was supposed to go. So that's why I decided to do that. I was actually going to apply for Iris. I was going to move to South Africa that year. And I've honestly tried to move to Africa every single year that I've been here in California and it keeps me here. Um, but I'm again, now looking back, I'm so glad that I did my first year at BSSM. That's where my real healing began. And it's when Holy Spirit spoke to me that it was going to be the year that I was going to walk out my biggest grave. All right. And this is where I met the real Emily Rose Johnson. <laughs> With his cowboy boots. Again, the cowboy boots. Yeah. Um, I still wear them sometimes. I'm not ashamed. You don't no need shame to be ashamed. In my game. Yeah. And I wear them with my pants tucked in so you can see the ostrich <laughs> skin white. And you know what? My mom still loves me. Yep. And he's going to win over his wife with those boots. I wouldn't go that far. We'll say, yeah, we're but just going to say it. It's a good exercise in knowing that the father accepts me even in those cowboy boots. <laughs> <laughs> So you get to first year, you're triggered by men still, oh, you've man. defended a man at BSSD. Yeah. And one thing you must know about ministry school here at Bethel is it's the first year is all about inner healing. And you would be surprised the amount of brokenness that's attracted here because the Lord to revive the world has to first revive individuals. So everyone comes in broken with, with a very, uh, checkered past things accidents that happen to them are, are people that intentionally screw up and come back to the lord uh first year bssm is where they come to get patched up and it's usually a supernatural story that brings them here and this is where uh one day i met emily johnson she seemed just like the most fire starting evangelist preacher saint i've ever met and randomly one revival group day a revival group is a about 70 people. It's like a small classroom. It's led by a revival group pastors, basically a professor for us. They they guide their 70 people and we meet every Wednesday and we go after inner healing together. And uh, the Holy Spirit always shows up there. So just guide me through that process a bit of how you were feeling that day or even the prior revival groups that led you to this decision. Absolutely. So like Britt was saying, we're all in random groups from people from all over the world. It is crazy of how that comes to be. And leading up to that, I remember we were at ropes course one day and it was in Weaverville, California, and the men were honoring the women that night. And at the time, he wasn't my friend, <laughs> um, but David Shepler came up to me and he gave me just this massive hug while I stood up for uh, a group of people that had been hurt by men. And it was the first time in my entire life where a man had touched me and I didn't feel unsafe. I didn't feel weird. It wasn't a triggering thing. And I was 24 at the time. That's 24 years of not feeling safe of a man touching you. That's a big deal. It was a defining moment for me. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me of like, this is, I'm showing you that you will get healed, Emily. This is a little glimpse of what your healing is going to look like. So I remember it was January 24th and the Holy Spirit was just in the room. I just felt him so strongly. And he said, it's time to walk out of this grave, Emily. And I publicly announced in front of my whole RG that I had been raped and sexually abused young. And that was the first time you've ever admitted to anyone in that capacity? Yeah. I had my revival group pastor pulled me aside, our assistant revival group pastor, and said, I know you've been sexually abused and raped. I've seen it in visions. Um, but I had never shared it publicly in front of that many people before, no. So in front of 70 people, she... <laughs> I was so scared. 
She just broke down. I remember weeping and hearing her tell that story. And my, I don't really show a lot of emotion. It's one of my gifts and curses. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember that day listening to your story and my jaw just dropped open and I, I couldn't even raise it back up. I was like, no way. This innocent, amazing, fun, lovely woman has been hurt like that by men and she's so transformed by the Lord. I don't think you knew the extent to which he had already transformed you, but I already saw in you what exactly as God sees you. That's really an actual gift I have. So I could always see the end result, but to hear the steps you went through to get there amazed me and it still amazes me. And that's why I'm talking to you right now. Yeah. So I literally, I don't know if I've ever cried harder in my whole entire life. Like I went down to the ground and I honestly just felt like years of shame were just lifted off of me. I'll never forget that day. It was so significant. And I had my friends around me covering me and people, you know, speaking life over me. And it was just such a defining moment for me. Like that's when I literally walked on my grave and God's like, here's new clothes for you. Like, this is what your potential is. And because he walked out of the grave, I can walk too. Like he was my motivation and the the courage. It takes a lot of courage to do something like that, uh, especially when you don't really know a group all that well. But at that moment, you guys were family to me. You guys knew before my own family knew. Um, No one from back home knew at that time. Yeah, and you've been set free now, totally. Yes. This summer I went into counseling Uh, God was speaking to me about it's going to be a summer of recoloring. He gave me a vision of myself at a kitchen table where I thought all my coloring pages were just black. And we got to re-pick Heaven's Colors. So I did full counseling. And my biggest breakthrough actually was I went to the closet where I was first raped this summer. I felt like I was supposed to do that. And that was really crazy. It was filled with guns and fishing rods just so Minnesotan. It's ridiculous, but also prophetic because I want to do war zone ministry in Africa one day. And God spoke to me, Emily, you're the woman for the job. I put you in a fight that you've already won. You are bound to win this. And we repainted that room with his blood. He told me that his favorite color is red. And I believe that. So it was a summer of literally recoloring the moment that I thought would destroy me, that take me out. But it's like, it couldn't. No, you're much too powerful that for that. And yes. recently, you confronted... Yeah, I actually ended up confronting um, one of the people that sexually abused me. And I also came out publicly on Facebook of my story. And actually, one of the people, uh, I got to say to them that I forgave them and tell them the good news of Christ, which is amazing. And he couldn't believe that I was able to forgive him. Yeah. So powerful. It is powerful. And did you share with your family finally, your mom, your dad? Yes. My whole, my mom, dad, all my aunts and uncles know, cousins know, everyone. Uh, They don't know who, obviously, but they know my, my story. And it feels really good to like, they know all of me now. I'm not just hiding behind stuff. It's like, this is the real Emily Rose Johnson. And I'm proud of my story now for the first time in my life. And Holy Spirit's been speaking to me specifically, and I told you this the other day. He whispered to me, I'm impacted by every part of your story. Yeah. <laughs> every single part of it, Emily, I'm impacted by. And God, you look at the Bible, he's all about redemption. The golden thread from beginning to end is redemption. And I think it's important to use your pain as a platform rather than a prison. And I'm done doing that. And I know I'm called to work with men who have gone through this. 
It's so awesome. Whenever I tell strangers about Emily Johnson, I always Gosh. say, Emily Johnson, God spoke revival and then he put her skin around it and she's just walking around reviving everything. She impacts everyone. Like if you know her, she impacts you without a doubt. And she's well known for that. And also you've always been beautiful, but the freer you get, I can see freedom on your face and your eyes. You look lighter. Uh, when you're in the glory, everything looks better and you definitely have been glorified. And that's amazing to see. So since this podcast is not video recorded, tell people how they can find you. So you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, but especially if you're in Reading, just come up to me. I'd love to have you over for breakfast or coffee sometime. I love talking and I love hearing people's stories as well. And um, yeah, if you personally, like I'm sharing this, hoping that this will bring hope to people who who have been sexually abused or raped, but also for the rapist. That's actually my heart now is for the rapist, for the actual abusers, because they need it so bad. And I used to be this feminist, but now I'm like, God, you know, I'm a co-dominionist. And you look at Genesis, it was all designed to be side by side, Adam and Eve. That's so good. Me and Emily Johnson. And this is Emily Rose Johnson. There's another Emily Johnson at school. She's it's amazing, a common but name. she is not the one I'm interviewing. It's Emily Rose Johnson. I believe it's Emily Rose Johnson 11 on Instagram. Mm -hmm. On Instagram. And yeah. my name is Nathaniel Britt Hodge on Facebook and Instagram. Get a hold of me. You can find us both. And if you want to find her and buy her coffee, most likely. I'll take it. I like my coffee black. Oh, wow. Like it black and with I like mine with extra cream and less coffee. <laughs> so thank you, Jesus, for this, the Good Christian Podcast. Um, this is Emily Rose Johnson. Do you have anything to say? We have like 10 seconds. Jesus is a king and he's on the throne and he, if I can walk out of the grave, you can walk up too. Yeah, so that's that. good. All right. Thank you for listening and see you on the next one.